Welcome back to The Recap Show. Hi, everybody. We are so happy that everyone is back um, and tuning into this next episode. Uh, We're so grateful for all of the support. So here at The Recap Show, um, everything that we do sits at the intersection of sports progress and equity. But what does that actually mean? Um, Each week, Tobin and I are here to have a conversation about how the sport of soccer moves the needle and makes a difference when it comes to social progress. Um, And soccer has done so much in our lives. It's given us so much um, and it's changed us for good. Um, And part of that is in the experiences that we've been able to have traveling the world um, for football. And we recently had an amazing experience where soccer brought us to Zambia. with grassroots soccer, and we had the opportunity to experience soccer for good at its very best. And um, today we're gonna have a conversation about the power and impact that soccer can have. The beautiful sport of soccer just took us to Zambia, um, and we wanted to share some of our insights and learnings from that trip with all of you all. Um, We know that we're extremely privileged to have the opportunity to um, go to these amazing places and see different cultures, and not everybody has that opportunity. So we're excited to share just like what it's like, um, these types of trips when you're in a completely different world and culture. Um, I found the people of Zambia incredibly hospitable hospitable and joyful and welcoming. Um, But we had to reckon a lot with our own privilege um, and our own lifestyle when we're seeing in the face of um, seeing a group of beautiful spirited, joyful people uh, living with far, far less than we have. Yeah, totally. I think what struck me about Zambia the most were just the people and how vibrant of a country it is. And um, whenever I travel, I feel like my eyes just like kind of grow and I'm (laughs) curious and I'm looking around at everything. And that's kind of the power of like going to a place that's very different than your everyday life is that all of a sudden you become super present and super aware of life um, and differences and culture. Uh, And I just was immediately, I fell in love with Zambia. I fell in love with the people, uh, most importantly. And um, there were just some like immediate observations as soon as, as we landed that were just like quite striking and like prompted so many awesome conversations that we had together. Well, would you like to share um, one of those insights with everybody? Yeah, I think um, my experience um, was going to a country where the majority of the population was black. And that means that the uh, jobs and opportunities and, um, and class wasn't divided by race. Uh, one thing that I remember specifically is driving in the car and watching um, women and men carry everything on their heads. Yeah. That was so cool. Like yeah. heavy, yeah. like difficult things to carry without their hands, hands yeah. on their heads, walking down the street. Um, and, you know, so much pride in what they were doing and where they were going and, and their work. Mm hmm. 
Yeah. And you talk about work and that was such an interesting kind of concept to see in Zambia. Uh, Zambia has a high level of um, unemployment because simply because there aren't enough jobs. Mm -hmm. And and what that means is for for the Zambians that do have jobs, they hold on to them and they work so hard for them. They're so professional and their jobs mean everything to them. And it was interesting because we have a lot of conversation in our own country here about, you know, like our worker, you know, what our worker is like today and this like lack of wanting to work and all this stuff. But going to a country where it is an absolute honor and something that you're so proud of, which is having a job mm-hmm. and the way then they, they do their job is just of utmost important and utmost professionalism. Mm-hmm. And it almost, it took me back. Like it, it, it took me like it, it made an impression on me because it made me reconsider how I define work and, and what it means to me. Mm-hmm. And and that was apparent in the people that were helping us, but also in the in the actual the way that their um, their country is is run. Any final insights, just generally on Zambia and the people of Zambia? Yeah, you know it, it's crazy because you and I have been kind of doing this study on like blue zones and like yeah. longevity and um, and kind of like learning a lot about that. And when I um, when I was kind of like looking around as we were, were driving through through Lusaka, I I noticed that most of the population, most of the people that I saw were were young. I didn't see many older people. And like in that moment, like like my heart broke, yeah. you know, because that is a completely different reality. And and we're going to get into like the reasons why that is and and why we in particular were there. But that was a hard reality. Yeah. Yeah. And I think travel, um, to a place like Zambia is beautiful and enriching and it gives such a perspective, but it was also deeply sad, um, deeply sad to grapple with the idea that this earth, this natural place that we all live, um, has been set up in a way where there's not enough for everybody. Mm. Yeah. And that basic human rights aren't being met. Yeah. By us. By us. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Okay. So let's step back. And obviously you and I know why we were in um, Zambia, but uh, for those of you that don't, um, I've been a part of Grassroots Soccer, a nonprofit organization uh, for about 10 years. I've been on the board for the last two years. Um, Tobin and I both traveled to one of their sites in Kailicha, South Africa um, in 2019. And Tobin's been a part of the organization ever since. Um, it's an organization that we love for the exact reasons um, that we said at the beginning of this, mm-hmm. because it uses the power of soccer to provide life-saving resources, tools, knowledge, information, testing, um, medical resources to young people that are at risk. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this trip, we specifically went to Lusaka, Zambia to see a grassroots soccer program there. And uh, the program runs kind of in the infrastructure of the community. So we went to a, a medical facility 
And we went into somebody's home to see how these interventions work. Um, But I wanted to share a couple of stats on um, on Zambia so that people understand um, how powerful that this work is. So the minority of adolescents have ever tested for HIV. And for those who do test positive, the majority do not stay on treatment. Um, Stigma and discrimination contribute to fear of testing and lack of support for HIV positive individuals. So here's where it gets really scary. Uh, By age 16, adolescent girls are highly vulnerable to sexual and intimate partner violence, and girls are four times more likely to contract HIV than their male counterparts, and those things are uh, correlated. By age 16, boys are pressured to experiment with drugs and alcohol, with one in four boys screening positive for harmful alcohol use. One in three boys have already perpetrated intimate partner violence. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, you kind of set the stage here that the lifespan is quite low um, and a lot of that has to do with resources um, like clean water Mm -hmm. um, and the infrastructure and a lot of it has to do with um, the lack of support um, for medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what grassroots soccer does is, uh, they work with adolescents 10 to 18, um, and they come in and they kind of try to get buy-in through soccer. So they, they build a program where they're going to blend the power of play and the joy of play with the hard-handing information that these young people need to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, so a simple example that I always say is, um, you know, holding a soccer camp where a lot of kids get to come and play soccer when they don't have resources to do so as freely. Um, and then at the end, they get tested for HIV. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like kind of the simple example, um, but would love to hear about from you about some of the interventions. Yeah, um, we kind of went straight into to it. We had traveled, I think it was 37 hours um, <laughs> yeah. to get to Lusaka. And once we got there, we kind of hit the ground running. Um, and I don't know if it was part of kind of like being jet lagged and being like tired, but we went straight into um, a co- compound in a medical facility where we were met with, I want to say like 30, 20 or 30 um, HIV positive youth. Um, and they were being... Um, uh, taught by an HIV positive coach, which I think is a big part of grassroots soccer. The way that they teach is they, um, everything is, it's not, you always say it's not like Americans like flying in and flying out. It's not that type of organization. It's an organization that completely, um, uses the community. The community becomes part of the program. They become leaders in the program. Um, they become workers in the program and it's this beautiful cyclical, um, process where the, the kids, then have opportunities even beyond um, getting tested, um, getting resources and education in order to survive. They're then being given pathways to to thrive. And what we witnessed was an intervention around um, grassroots soccer, new programming uh, around um, mind skills, mind skills, which is all around mental health and why mental health is so important is mental health isn't um, just like a uh, add on to what health is. Mental health is integral to 
um, health as we know it. And it's, it shouldn't be a privilege to one, acknowledge mental health, but two, to get the resources for mental health um, and understand how that plays into our overall health and what we were giving, um, what we were participating in and um, experiencing with these um, at-risk youth is um, the power of being able to have hard conversations and to the power of having a safe space to be able to feel seen um, and to know that at the end of the day that there are people that care about these kids deeply and care about their well-being um, and care about um, them being able to have the resources to live a happy and healthy life. Mm -hmm. And we participated in a program that completely takes down the walls and the barriers um, that stigma can produce, that um, being ashamed can produce. Yeah. And I think that stigma is um, even more pronounced in Zambia because it's quite a conservative and religious country. Mm -hmm. And to go back to how you're painting a picture at the first intervention, um, I think I just kind of want to go back to that moment. Yeah. And you mentioned like we're super jet lagged. We're kind of feeling um, tired and out of sorts. And we're about to go into this room and this space where we are supposed to inspire and encourage and be present. And, you know, we're both kind of thinking like, oh, we could use another day to kind of get acclimated. Right. And um, we pull up and we go into a room, um, a very small room, like kind of no floor, just four walls and a roof um, and four benches around the outside. And I mean, the first thing you said is like, well, I've never been in a room like this. Mm -hmm. And uh, before we even enter, we hear singing mm -hmm. and clapping mm -hmm. um, and they're doing a grassroots soccer energizer, which is how the program starts every single class, yeah. which is a little... Kilo. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they've baked in play and song and dance and moving your body freely into the curriculum. And so it was just a profound experience for us going like, OK, we're about to walk into a, you know, dilapidated room with 25 HIV positive young people from age 10 to 18. Mm -hmm. We're walking into a sad experience. And we walked into a room full of joy and hope. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was laughing because, you know, we sit down just like alongside the children and they're teaching um, in their native language and in English, like kind of back and forth. And we're just like kind of participating in the program and raising yeah. our hands. And I looked over and I saw a little mini me. Um, <laughs> yeah. He was maybe the youngest one there. And he every single time the coach had a question, he was like, <laughs> yeah. He wanted to answer every single question. And that's how I was in grade school. There's a Christian press in every culture and every country, I swear. Oh, it was so cute. And, you know, for some of the other students, um, you saw so much shyness. Mm -hmm. and so much nervousness in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, but we started playing games and we started doing breakout groups. And by the end of it, you can really just see the participants transform. Yeah. Um, everybody speaks. Everybody has a chance to get their voice yeah. heard. And yeah. that in itself is transformational. Yeah. I love that you said that because when when you first come into this, and, and for us too, we were, we were kind of 
it felt like we were like in a way on the outside when we were coming in and immediately through what grassroots soccer does in their programming is you immediately become part of it. Um, and it, you go from being kind of like uncomfortable, not really knowing how to do the dance or how to do the, the, um, the kilo or the cheer. Um, and then you get into it and you have this common bond all of a sudden with everyone else. Yeah. And you go from being, you know, afraid or nervous to ask a question to being the first one to speak. And there's something that even happens in the beginning that with, with all the kids is they've almost don't have a voice and they speak so softly. And by the end of the, the, the class, all of a sudden you hear their voice and there's something like so moving and beautiful about that. Like giving somebody their voice back is giving them their confidence back is giving them their, their ability of hope and, and that's probably the most moving thing because it's like if you don't have a voice, like like can you stick up for yourself? Like if you when you're talking about gender based 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 violence and and all these I things love, in this society. I love that you said that. Actually, growing up, when my mom was teaching me about like the history of racism, she used to always say. Um, the biggest heartbreak of oppression is stealing people's hope. Ah, oh, yeah. 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 Or stealing um, people's voice. Voice. Yeah. And, and, and then I think I would say that um, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I would say that grassroots soccer doesn't necessarily give kids their voice, but they provide a space where kids can get their own voices mm, back. I, lo I love that you said that because by the end of the class two is the, the coach has given, created a space that any one of those kids would feel safe to um, come and speak to them or speak to somebody at the medical facility and have given them an opportunity to level set like where you are and, and who you are and that you deserve to be heard and that you deserve to take up space. Yeah. And, um, okay. I have a request Yes. for all of our community. Will you explain and demonstrate a kilo? Oh my gosh. I would love to. So <laughs> kilos are like this beautiful thing. Um, and, um, it, it, it's so fun because actually the the kids, they can create whatever kilo they want. Um, and a lot of times they get to ask for them. And they're kind of like, I wouldn't say like, they're kind of a reward-based thing sometimes mm -hmm. where like if you say a great answer or whatever or you, you're brave in one of the exercises. They'll say everybody give them a give kilo. somebody a kilo yeah. and you get to pick which kilo they are. And... Um, one of my favorite kilo was probably the threes. So you go one, two, three, one, two, three, like, and then you do the kilo. So it would be like for the threes kilo, it'd be like one, two, three, one, two, three, the threes. <laughs> and a popular kilos are like the Wakanda kilo. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> and so it's like basically like you clap three times, you clap three times, and then you do some kind of like dance move or you say something and the whole everybody does it together. And it's just this really fun way of connecting. And everyone always knows when a grassroots soccer program is going on, because like Kristen said, there's so much joy around it. The kids are so active and engaged because it is play based and like where soccer like becomes the great um, like the greatest game ever is that 
it eliminates all barriers. Yep, exactly. And and it's through these like energizers and kilos and the power of of soccer um, that all of a sudden it's like the biggest joy and the biggest fun that everybody wants to participate in. And then once that participation and and fun is there, it's like there's nothing you can't teach. Yeah. And there's no space that you can't make powerful and make like productive in ways that you know not only are these kids benefiting from like a mental health ex- aspect because a lot of times they come in pretty depressed. They they don't know yeah. what depression is, yeah. right? But they come in depressed because they're feeling hopeless. And then what happens is they leave feeling inspired and hopeful. Well, I think what's important to, to share is that like, yes, we're using soccer, the power of play to create change, but we're having incredibly difficult conversation, conversations that you and I never had to have when we we're kids. Mm-mm. We are talking about mixing drugs and sex. Mm-hmm. We're talking about having multiple partners and older partners to 10-year-old children, Ten right? Years, yeah. So we're having like conversations that are like shockingly difficult. Conversations about disease, con- conversations about contraceptives, yep. conversations about gender-based violence, all of these to to children. Yeah. And and because the reality is, like those are things that they are seri- seeing, experiencing, having to um, make decisions about. And and that is heartbreaking because when you think of childhood and like the safety that you would want a child to have, it is a child that wouldn't have to make decisions about those types of things. But if they are going to have to make those decisions, like having a program that is giving you the best resources and tools to make positive decisions that will impact the rest of your life and to give you um, your voice and and hope and a a safe space, I think is was something that it's a huge gift. It's beautiful. Yeah. So that was our first intervention. Um, And just to give an example of one other intervention that we participated in, we actually, for the first time ever, went into a home. Um, And Grassroots Soccer has started a program of community-based distributors um, to help um, ease the hardship of getting access to family family planning services, um, which are contraceptives and condoms and such, um, because it is a very conservative religious country. Um, even after people have, after young people have the tools, it's very hard to like go to a facility and get those things. Um, and so what they have done is they have equipped some of their coaches with the ability to distribute these family planning services within their own homes. Yeah. So if you are a young person and you need access to these resources, you can actually just go to your coach's house um, and that person can administer or distribute some of these um, resources, which is a really, really cool and smart program. Yeah. And it's reimagining what healthcare is and what it can be. I mean, you can define healthcare in a lot of ways, but access to healthcare is like one of the the biggest barriers in actually getting it. And what we're seeing in Zambia is a way for adolescents to be met where they are and to be provided for where they are. Um, And it actually brought us to a compound, which is where people live. It's a neighborhood. And and it brought us to a home of a, a young woman who is now a coach 
um, and CBD um, community-based distributor um, at Grassroots Soccer. And we got to watch an intervention with um, a young woman who came in and we got to experience how a community-based distributor, how that program actually works, which was quite powerful and a little bit like, I was a little bit taken back because I was like, this is, this is the best like medical opportunity that people, that young people can get. And it's just, it makes you like super, it's really hard to like imagine a world where in order for you to be taken care of, like this is kind of the extreme that you have to go to, to just get something super basic in my opinion. Yeah. So it's the juxtaposition of like, wow, this is amazing. And they're making access, um, they're making something accessible and they're making, they're like breaking down barriers of stigma. And then at the same time, you were like, whoa, this is insane. Um, like for something that you would go to like a super sterile hospital and have to fill out a hundred thousand pieces of paper and make sure that six different people have checked it out to be able to go and like get, you gotta show your insurance. You gotta (laughs) go through all the, the like buttoned up barriers and this is like literally your peer yeah. giving you and health services 18 to 24 years old so yeah. these are also yeah young people yeah and it goes back to like kind of like the general population at large you know like who are going to be those people yeah. and grassroots soccer has provided a pathway and opportunity that their coaches now can be those people in their yeah. communities so we watched this this intervention which was really powerful and and extreme and um, actually my, my favorite experience was actually going into the compound and going into a house because this was the first time ever in Africa that I had gone into a house and to kind of set the scene is, um, it's an extreme amount of poverty. And this house was essentially two small rooms and we were in the, the front room and, um, where the intervention took place and, after we had finished the intervention, I had asked the the young woman who had done the intervention, I said, uh, could I see your home? And she got very excited to show her home. And she um, just kind of pulled back the sheet that was separating the two rooms, the two very small rooms. And in the second room, there was basically just one mattress, um, which took up the majority of the room. And she explained to me that her and her two brothers and her mom all lived in this home, which, you know, if, if you just like, it's the space just like didn't equate to four people living like in a space, you know, comfortably. And like, it, it really, really moved me. She actually, I I asked her, how did you get involved with grassroots soccer? And she said, uh, when I was in school, um, grassroots soccer would come in and do the programs. And it just so happened that I was never in the grade that grassroots soccer was doing it. So it was either a younger grade or an older grade. And she said she remembered just like looking over at what was happening and hearing the excitement and the voices and and seeing the play with with soccer. And she said she was always wanted to participate in it because it looked like so much fun. So she said, if I stay in school, maybe I'll get to participate in the program the next year. So it's actually what kept her 
in school was this idea that she'd be able to participate in grassroots soccer in a grassroots soccer program and just the way that it worked out she actually never got to participate in it but she got to finish school and what happened after that was um she then was able to see that grassroots soccer were hiring coaches and she was like the first person to apply and it meant so much to her because she really wanted to become part of the program and she actually got a job with grassroots soccer as a coach yeah. And now she's one of like, you know, the best coaches and she's now a CBD, a community-based distributor. And it's given her, you know, so much. And she's so proud of um, being able to participate in grassroots soccer. Yeah, it was a very profound experience. And I just want to plus one to uh, the magic that is grassroots soccer coaches. Um, I think just equipping still young people, but slightly older people with um, this job opportunity where they can then become leaders within their own community and help their own community um, get access to things that they absolutely deserve yeah. um, is incredibly moving. And I think the thing that struck me the very most uh, when I started with this program is seeing the amount of pride and joy that the coaches have in the work that they mm. do. And for me, that is uh, the magic of grassroots soccer. Yeah. Um, so I don't know so what well. else to say. So well, yeah. So well, so yeah. well. And it's really amazing to participate. I mean, you brought this gift into my life of grassroots soccer, and it's it's really amazing to participate in an organization um, to actually see what's happening like on the ground and in these places. It's trans, it's transformative, and um, there's one thing like caring about it, and it's another thing going and and participating. And we've been lucky enough to do it. Yeah. Times. And I think uh, we wanted to have this conversation with all of you um, to give more people an opportunity and like a firsthand experience of what it's like to be an American, to be us um, going over and experiencing this um, and sharing out those lessons and the opportunity that we all have to do our part in making the world a better place. Um, and in general, there's so much opportunity with the game of soccer um, to create good in the world. Yeah. Uh, just being in Zambia, um, we saw the e EPL everywhere. The kits, yeah. uh, the Arsenal kits, the Barcelona yeah. kits, like everywhere. Um, and it's such a global unifier. It has so much power um, and it's really profound. So do you want to share a little bit about like the way that you see soccer able to create a better world? Yeah, definitely. So I did like Kristen always makes fun of me because I'm like such a tourist. And <laughs> one of the first things I got was my uh, Zambian uh, national team jersey. And I was very proud of it. One, because, you know, it, for anybody that watched the World Cup, um, they were so inspiring. It was their first ever World Cup Um for their, their country and, and for the women, their first goal, their first win, all these things um, for, for Zambia. And now knowing uh, the country and having been there, like I'm even more proud of what was accomplished. Oh, yeah. Um, and it was funny because as, as I was wearing the jersey, I got a lot of comments um, from Zambians about the jersey. And they, they say, hey, those colors look good on you. Yeah, they said, hey. <laughs> and I was like, thank you. 
I love the Copper Queens. And and that's what um, the Zambian women's team are called, are the Copper Queens, because copper is one of the big resources that come out of um, Zambia. And um, and they were like, oh, awesome. First, because their first thought wasn't towards the women's team. The first thought was towards the men's team. But as soon as I said, I love the Copper Queens, they then were like, oh, the, the World Cup. And everybody <laughs> knew about it. And I thought to myself, this country is ripe for that to be such a big opportunity because of the fact that the women are leading their way in their country of what's possible in football. Yeah. And they did it in an incredible way. And I wore that Zambian jersey so proudly <laughs> about and when anybody asked me about it, it was always for the Copper Queens. <laughs> and, and, it, and I was met with so much joy and so much praise um, for them, which was which is a whole nother aspect of progress, which is, you know, gender-based progress. Yeah, I want to I wanna talk about that. I think that, like, with grassroots soccer, we're seeing the opportunity that soccer has through, like, the eyes of a nonprofit that's going in and tackling some of the world's hardest, most difficult issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and soccer um, is able to create change in all different ways. And actually one of my first visits to the grassroots soccer program with all of the education, with the medical resources, with the testing, what actually struck out to me alongside that was, um, having boys watch girls play soccer, just like that simple thing. Um, there was just like a little pitch in a township um, and it was the only place that they had any type of grass. It was artificial turf to play soccer. And for one hour out of the day, they reserved it for girls and the boys loved to play. So they would be like, you know, foaming at the mouth to like wait to get back on the pitch. And during that hour, they would bang the side of the wall and they would cheer for the girls. And I just thought, that's how change happens. Yeah. You know, it does. Yes, it happens through education. Yes, it happens through these like formal pathways, but it also just happens um, through what you see and experience firsthand. And I think, um, you know, gender opportunity um, is a huge avenue that I think sport and soccer is making yeah. a lot of progress in. It's obviously one that we fought really, really hard of, yeah. hard at. Um, And, you know, we think about, you know, our role on the U.S. Women's National Team for the last decade plus was to push um, the ceiling as high as we possibly could um, and hope that the entire group would move with us, right, to try to, like, break through that ceiling so that everyone could flow through it. Um, But there's there's ways to help at every level, right? And to make sure that the people have the least resources, which maybe that's young kids in Zambia that don't have a place to play and they don't have a uniform and they don't have a soccer ball, Mm -hmm. Um, that they also have people that are pushing for to get them resources so that the entire group can move. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's the power of sport and that sport at its best. Yeah, definitely. And I think you brought up a good point is that, you know, progress doesn't naturally happen. You have to. Okay. Hot take. You have to make (laughs) progress happen. So what you described was this idea that you know, the girls weren't going to get a chance to play on that field Mm -hmm. unless there was a designated time and Mm -hmm. a safe space Mm -hmm. for them to play on. And I think that's like a big part of this. And we always talk about 
in the ability to make progress is the fighting against and the fighting for. And what you described is, um, I guess, two kind of ways that I, I saw us um, using our using football, using our platform. And one with the US Women's Action, we always talk about kind of pushing that ceiling, which we've seen, you know, for fighting for more, even at the top as the highest paid biggest profile players. Yeah. yeah. Even at the top is so important. Yeah. And you talk about like, that's kind of like one for 1 million. Like that's kind of like the top setting precedent, S- setting precedent. And we saw, you know, so many federations after us fighting for equal pay, fighting for value, um, and continuing to show what women can do, what they can, can achieve, um, the success, the marketability, all of those things, pushing it, um, but what we experienced also when we were in Zambia is this idea of the grassroots soccer approach mm-hmm. um, and the grassroots approach. And where it was really humbling and powerful is like this idea of one to one, the power of the coach to the participant mm-hmm. um, and then the coach to then uh, job or employee. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what I love is it, it gives such um it shows the power of football in every dimension of mm-hmm. pushing progress. Mm-hmm. And I want to be a part of every discussion of, mm-hmm. of that. And, you know, we've had the privilege of the platform of the US Women's Ash team. And we always say you carry that torch as far and as high as possible, and we're going to continue to do that. And you also say starting at the same time, starting little fires everywhere. Um, and I really believe that, you know, progress as much as it has to be built for, it has to be fought for. Because as much as we we believe in a world of abundance, you, by becoming abundant, you're going to come into territories where they don't believe in abundance. They believe that it whatever you're going to take is going to come from what I have. Yeah. Scarcity. Scarcity. So part of progress is showing a new world in a new way. Um, and I, I truly believe it comes with being very intentional about change. Yeah. And I'm proud of you. We're, we're doing our best and you're learning a lot and you're growing and you're leading. So that concludes the daily discussion and brings us to everybody's favorite segment, community, community questions. questions. <laughs> I will go first. Carissa asks, what's the best time to take a shower, morning or night? Oh, that's that's easy. I believe that the best time to take a shower is at night because I am a like firm believer that you should not get into bed dirty. <laughs> I think getting into bed dirty is like so gross. <laughs> and and I like I do have like a little bit of weirdness with cleanliness, I think. Um, but also I think because we play sports, like we shower probably more than normal people, but I will say like, I love to shower at night. Like I, and people are going to find this terrible, but like, I love like a little bit of a wet pillow (laughs) (laughs) cause I'm so hot when I sleep. Beautiful. Next question. (laughs) Heather asks, and I think this is because you, on our last TRS, you said, told um, about, spoke about the ponds. The ponds. (laughs) 
okay. About the pom-pom-poms. Um, so Heather asks, Kristen, who braves the cold water better, you or Tobin? Oh, interesting. Um, so the ponds. Well, just to give a little background. <laughs> um, we love talking about the ponds. We both enjoy cold water swimming. It was something that we did when we lived in London. Um, there was a heath and it had a pond and it was completely natural. And um, it was a very profound, beautiful experience, meditative. Um, so we got in the ponds throughout the winter. Um, I think as low as like, you know, three, three degrees Celsius, something like that. Um, and the temperature in Celsius is <laughs> equal to the amount of time that you can stay in the pond without getting hyperthermia. Without dying. So for if it was three degrees, you can only stay in for three minutes. When it's eight degrees, it's still freezing. And you can stay in for eight minutes and do like a big lap of the pond. You um, definitely have to develop tolerance, though. Yeah. So that's actually getting into my answer. So when we lived in London, Tobin went to training every day playing for Arsenal. And I went to the pond every day and swam. Um, so I definitely had more tolerance. But I will say the very, very first time that we got in the pond, um, I had no idea what to expect. It was probably 15 degrees and we had, there's a lifeguard. It's a ladies only pond, which is a whole other level of awesome. <laughs> but there's a, a lifeguard there. And so she was kind of showing us the ropes, like this is how you do it. And she was like, oh, like just like do a tiny bit out and then come back, right? And so Tobin gets in and I'm watching her and she's like starting to swim out and the lifeguard's like, great, okay. Just like go around the first buoy and come back, like be safe. And I'm like, great, I'll just go around the first buoy. So I like climb down the ladder and like when your heart gets submerged it's like a feeling that you are going to die like certainly right <laughs> and this is where like eventually like the head rush comes and you learn to like control your breathing and your your body throughout chaos or whatever but the very first time I was just like <laughs> trying not to die right I was like my, my arms were going so fast and I was like going like under right? like I, you're, I, you're not getting your head under you have like a beanie on and I was like going under the leg I was like out 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 <laughs> so I just like went in and went out um but I am a I'm a woman of progress. So I went every single day for an entire winter until I could tolerate a lot colder ponds mm -hmm. for a lot longer. And um, I would say that I um, rule the cold water world. <laughs> the ruler of the cold water world. Yep, that's me. Okay, fair. Well, thank you, everybody, um, for another beautiful episode um, and for supporting Tobin and I in this beautiful endeavor. Um, I also wanted to say thanks to everybody that joined the two watch lives. Um, Tobin's been hosting these watch lives um, and it's super fun. Um, I always pop in there just to see what everybody's talking about. I think we have to do one for every single Arsenal game after that last one. It was just it was so good. And I will say there's a bunch of gooners as reimaginers, like because of course. Yeah. I mean, but the idea is so great. It's like never watch the game alone. Like yeah. you watch the game and you get to sit with a couple hundred other people that are also enjoying it and hear these insights from um, a former gooner herself. So, yeah. Um, and they're passionate about moving the needle. You know, they're cheering for the right things, um, which the is, is powerful. Community. 
Yeah. Yeah. So those experiences are awesome and um, we'll continue to do them. Uh, Those are members only. So make sure that you sign up for our membership if you'd like to participate and check it out and see what it's like. And I'm going to do an again, but better event, which is um, a long time coming. Um, And that's my event that I hold for members only where I just talk about kind of how um, we use the experiences that we have in sport to help build this business and how we co-create this business with our beautiful community. Um, so I've been doing this event series for a couple years and I'm excited to have an end of the year reflection moment with our whole community. So make sure you sign up for a membership to enjoy that. I love that. And, uh, get your, uh, holiday orders in like now. now. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, and happy holidays. And um, and um, we'll be coming out with a couple more episodes this year. So stay tuned for more things. The recap show. Yay. See you next time. See ya. The recap show is a re-ink original series produced in partnership with HeadGum Studios. If you believe in what we're building and love this show, the most important thing you can do is follow or subscribe. Hit the plus sign on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a review and share the show with a friend. We are so grateful. The Recap Show is executive produced by Tobin Heath, Kristen Press, Shane Romani, and Jamie Friedman. For HeadGum Studios, The Recap Show is brought to life by supervising producer Katie Moose, associate producer Ali Khan, video engineer and editor Rochelle Chen, motion graphics Eddie Ramos, Thank you.